0: Well, today is Mother's Day, and uh, all of the children who came up to get the children's notes, all of you kids, can you pay attention? Look up here. Do you all know that you have mothers? Are you thankful for that? Kids, are you? Yes? Yes. Have you told your mother, Happy Mother's Day? Yes. If you haven't, you better be getting about that real quick. Okay, you can even whisper over and say, Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for being my mother. Uh, Husbands, have you thanked your wives for being mothers to your children? I trust you have. Sort of my tradition is I oftentimes write notes to Yvonne. I I did write her a note today. So she thanked me for that. Well, it is Mother's Day. It's a a time when our, our nation, which we honor mothers. And it can be a difficult day, for some, I know for mothers who have lost children or for children who have lost mothers or for mothers who want to be mothers but can't be mothers or trying to be mothers, it can be a hard day and may God comfort you in this day. This morning though, many of us here are mothers and I want to honor you. I want to encourage you. I want to preach a message really of of encouragement to strengthen you for your task because mothering is not easy. It's a a very difficult job. One one writer wrote it out as a job application. Kind of put things in perspective. And and here's what this person wrote. Position. Mother. Mom. Mama. Job description. Long-term team prayers needed for challenging permanent work in an often chaotic environment. Candidates must possess excellent communication and organizational skills, be willing to work variable hours, which include evenings and weekends and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Some overnight travel is required, including trips to primitive camping sites on rainy weekends and endless sporting tournaments in faraway cities. Travel expenses not reimbursed. Extensive courier duties are also required responsibilities of the rest of your life must be willing to be hated at least temporarily until someone wants five dollars must be willing to bite tongue repeatedly also must possess physical stamina of a pack mule and be able to go from zero to 60 in three seconds flat in case this time the screams from the backyard are not just somebody crying wolf must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as small gadget repair Mysteriously sluggish toilets and stuck zippers must screen phone calls, maintain calendars and coordinate production of multiple homework projects must have the ability to plan, organize and organize social gatherings for clients of all ages and mental outlooks must be willing to be indispensable one minute, one minute and an embarrassment the next minute. Must handle assembly and product safety testing of a half million cheap plastic toys and battery-operated devices. Must always hope for the best but be prepared for the worst. Must assume final, complete accountability for the quality of the end product. Responsibilities also include floor maintenance and janitorial work throughout the facility. Possibility for advancement promotion? Virtually none. Your job is to remain in the same position for years without complaining, constantly retraining and updating your skills so that those in your charge can ultimately surpass you. Previous experience, none required, unfortunately. On-the-job training offered on a continual, exhausting basis, however. Wages and compensation, get this, you pay them. Offering frequent wages and bonuses. A balloon payment is due when they turn 18 because of the assumption that college will help them become financially independent. And when you die, you will give them whatever is left. And the oddest thing about this reverse salary scheme is that you actually enjoy it and wish you could only do more. Benefits. Well health, well no health or dental insurance, no pension, no tuition reimbursement, no paid holidays, no stock options are offered. This job supplies limitless opportunities for personal growth and free hugs for life if you play your cards right. Well, it, it's pretty accurate, actually. Mothering is a difficult task. It's demanding. It's thankless. And rare is the mother who's never reached a point of despair. Well, mothers, I'm here to give you hope. Uh, Maybe today finds you in despair. I hope that my message today will help you. Perhaps today finds you in a, a, a day in which despair is in the future. I hope that my message today will help prepare you for that day of despair in the future, my message this morning is entitled Hope for the Home. My text is Psalm 127. If you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 127. As most of you know, we've been looking at the Psalms of Ascents. The songs of Ascents are Psalm 120 through 134, 15 songs that Israel sang as they traveled the road up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord in these three annual feasts. And there's a way that reflecting upon each of these psalms will enrich our hearts to worship the Lord as well. And and this morning, the the topic of the psalm has to do with family. And I I think a a worship of that is that they're walking up. When they walked up, they're reminded of the importance of the family and the benefits of the family and the God blessing of the family. And you ought to do that as you come to church each week. Well, we're not taking these psalms straight through. Just as we don't sing our hymns just straight through. But we will get all 15 of them in in 15 weeks. And I have felt the freedom to vary this order up a bit. And with Mother's Day here, we're going to hit Psalm 127 because a perfect fit. It's really applicable for you mothers, especially for all of you who are working tirelessly to care for those in your home. And, And I just hope they give great comfort to your souls this morning. Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for He gives to His beloved sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak of their enemies at the gate, in the gate. Well, from the superscription of this psalm, we see that written by Solomon. In 1 Kings 4.32, we find that Solomon wrote a thousand and five songs. And this just happens to be one of them. Solomon, by the way, just wrote one other psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 72. These are the two psalms that he, he wrote. And written by Solomon, it is no surprise that the psalm could appear in the book of Proverbs without changing a word. And no one would even imagine why they supposed it to be a psalm. That's why this psalm has also often been called a wisdom psalm. Because it reads just with, with wisdom. And the wisdom that comes to the psalm is really simple. Everything depends upon God's blessing. Everything depends Upon God's blessing, your work and toil in the home is useless unless God comes with his blessing. Early mornings and late nights are useless unless God comes with his blessing. Any children that come into the home are a direct result of the blessing of God and any benefit that they bring into the home are a blessing of God. It's come to you by a gift and everything depends upon God's blessing. Well, this psalm is two parts. First part comes in verses 1 and 2 and the second part comes in 3 through 5. And so I have two points this morning. First point is this, God builds. God builds. And this is good news that He does build. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. In this verse, we see two identical statements they Identif- identical grammatically, though they deal with different topics. The first one deals with a house and home, and the second one deals with city and security. And they both state the essential truth that if God does not work, all of your activity is useless. You can try to build a home. You can labor long and hard. But unless God builds the home, your work is nothing. Vain, vanity, emptiness is what it means. And you can try to guard the city. And you can try to protect the city. But unless the Lord is the one who guards the city and protects it, all of your protecting, all of your military prowess is, is nothing apart from God. And you can take this principle and extend it in many different areas of life. Unless the Lord builds the church, all the activity and all the efforts is Vain. Unless the Lord builds the corporation, all those who work there labor in vain to build the corporation. Unless the Lord gives you military victory, they labor in vain who fight the war. Unless the Lord gives the physical recovery, the doctors treat the patient in vain. Unless the Lord gives understanding, the student studies in vain. Uh, Unless the Lord gives the skill, the musician will practice in vain. Unless the Lord changes the heart, the evangelist will preach in vain. It's God who does the work. It's a common thread throughout all of Scripture. Psalm 33, verses 16 through 18. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear Him. On those who hope for His loving kindness. Proverbs 21.30 There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. What God counsels, what, the wisdom that God has, is the only wisdom that there is. Or 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5-7, through seven, talking about the church. Paul says, What is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God, who causes the growth, and I'll supply is everything, and that's really the the message here of verse of verse one is that unless God works, our work is nothing now dig into verse one. First, we're talking about a house. In scripture, a house can mean several things. It can mean a physical structure. It's um, in a, a building of a home or it might even sometimes a temple is described as a house. It can refer to a family. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her hands. <clears throat> by wisdom, a house is built <clears throat> and by understanding it's established. So it can mean a building or it can mean the people within the house. And, and whether it's one or the other, both are true. Remember the Tower of Babel when the, the workers tried to build this tower that reached up into the heavens? Right? The Lord came down to see the tower and he confused their language and scattered them from over the whole face of the earth. And I say, so much for the tower. Unless the Lord builds the tower, they labor in vain who try to build it. Or do you remember when David sinned with Bathsheba? The Lord brought a curse upon his whole household. The Lord said, the sword shall never depart from your house and I will raise up evil against you from your own household. And he faced the troubles unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And what's true of the house is true of the city. In the time of Solomon, guarding a city was an important task. Every city was fortified with walls, with lookout towers to, to see if enemies were coming in the entire history of Israel and Judah, as one of cities being attacked and defended, watchmen were important. And unless God guarded the city, the watchmen would keep it awake in vain. You remember Jericho? When Israel defeated Jericho, it was with the help of the Lord. And, and I don't care what sort of watchmen Jericho had posted on the city walls; the Lord was against the city, and its walls crumbled, and its people were defeated. Or do you remember AI? That, that city, that small city that Israel went out and attacked, because the Lord was protecting Ai, they lost. Not because they had such great watchmen. And even the most diligent watchman is no match for God. The city is not safe. And obviously our focus this morning, being Mother's Day, is to focus on house building. Help to mothers. And I just say this, mothers, unless the Lord builds your house You labor in vain trying to build it. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't work hard, moms. That's not it at all. You should work hard to build your house. Isn't that what Proverbs 31 is about? It's about a woman who works hard. The virtuous woman. Looks for wool and flax. She works with her hands. Brings food from afar. Gives food to her household. Purchases the field. Plants a vineyard. Girds herself with strength. Extends her hands to the poor. Makes covering for herself. Makes and sells linen garments. Supplies belts to tradesmen. And says in Proverbs thirty-one twenty-seven, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Such is the virtuous woman. And I say, Mother, she must work. The dirty diapers and endless meals and late nights and planning and counseling and loving and consoling and the the trips to Woodman's and the next load of laundry. Listen, all of these are all part of it. You wrongly understand this verse if it means, well, I'm going to labor in vain. I might as well not labor at all. So you sit back, watch television, surf the Internet every day because you reason that God's the one who builds. And if you reason that way, you're you're dead wrong. It's not right. Motherhood is a call to work. The call in verse 1 is a call to work with right perspective. You need the perspective of verse 2. It's vain for you to rise up early and to retire late. To eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved. I'm translating that. Sleep. Uh, Again, you see this word vain. It occurs in verse 1 twice. It occurs here in verse 2. The third time it speaks about the vanity of working hard. Now, hard work is good. Proverbs commends hard work. It condemns the sluggard. Refuse it refuses to work. And such a one will come to poverty. But here in verse 2, we see that there's a way to work which is totally vain. It's the sort of work that never stops. It's the, the long hours. The work that never, ever ends. It's the 20-hour days. It's the 18-hour days. Remember, God gave Israel a Sabbath to rest. One day in seven. To rest. It's a good principle for us to follow as well. Rest is important. And you realize that God gave us sleep as well so that we don't work all the time? You ever thought about sleep? There's nothing really intrinsic in us that necessitates us sleeping. But God gives it to us to slow us down. And God gives sleep. And sleep is good. Solomon said the sleep of the working man is pleasant. But Psalm one hundred and twenty seven is addressing the workaholic here. The one who burns the candle from both ends, the one who's always on the go and perpetually tired, the one who doesn't get enough sleep, the one who's always busy, 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 busy doing this and that. And that's the one that Solomon addresses. Now let me say many workaholics have good motives. They want to help their children. They they, they want to get ahead. But I just say this in trying to get ahead, you can lose your children. Solomon spoke of this in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 through 21. He says, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This, too, is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and all his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. And even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is vanity. And too often it's the case where husband and wife work, maybe outside the home, and they work and work and work and work so as to be able to provide for their children maybe something that they never had or, or maybe some kind of standard of living that they want to have. And they their the riches on to their children who end up just squandering it all. Think about the, the term, the spoiled rich kid. Given everything in life, everything's been handed on a silver platter and what does the spoiled rich kid do? He wastes it. I mean, all you got to do is just even think celebrities. I, I just you know, it comes to mind, some celebrities on my mind whose children are problems. You know, they've got drugs, they've overdosed on drugs, or they've killed themselves, or they've been involved because they haven't worked. And all this money that these celebrities have go down to these children, and it's just a waste I think some of the problem is that all uh, husband and wife were out there working all this stuff and they missed their true work, which will give them joy and satisfaction as the work of the home. You can work long, hard, labor night and day and lose your children. Uh, Verse 2 tells us this. Here's the principle of verse 2. Go to bed and trust the Lord. Moms, I want to encourage you this morning to work hard at your labors at home. Work hard at your labors at home. But I want you also to know your limits. You don't need to be everyone's hero. You simply need to be faithful and trust in the Lord. William Plummer, the old commentator, said it well. He said, God does not require us to kill ourselves or fret ourselves to death, but only to use lawful industry and then with quiet confidence in His providence lie down and sleep the divine blessing and not our foresight secures success. God is as merciful in giving us sleep as He is righteous in requiring labor. He shows His care for us by causing our crops to grow and our affairs to prosper even while we sleep. That's what Psalm 127 about. It advocates hard work and a trusting rest. Why? Because God gives to His beloved sleep. That's what verse 2 says. And for some reason, the New American Standard added a few words here. If you have a New American Standard in your, in your lap, the, the italics words um, are, are not, uh, were not there in the original, but they're added for clarity's sake. Like, for instance, if you look back in Psalm 123, verse 1, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Psalm 123, verse 2, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master. That word look is added. It's really, behold, that's the eyes of servants to the hand of their master. Well, what are they doing? They're, they're looking to, and oftentimes they just help clarify what's going on in the, in the Greek text. But here they, they just change the meaning, and I'm not, I'm not sure why. It's certainly valid. Could be possible, but I think better. Just he gives to his beloved sleep. That's what the Hebrew text says rather than given to His beloved, even in His sleep. Which means that not He just gives sleep, but while we sleep, He's doing stuff for us. Which is totally true. That while we sleep, God does do things for us. And it's totally true that God gives sleep or withholds sleep. Remember when God accomplished His purpose through the sleepless night of King Ahazuerus? That He looked up and, and found in the, the, um, the decrees and kind of looked back and helped to save the Jewish people? God will deny sleep from some people. God will give sleep to some people. And, and this idea that God gives to His beloved in His sleep is certainly true as well because God providentially works out many details while we sleep. How many times you said, let's just sleep on that. Let's just wait on God and then He provides in some way for us. But whatever, however you take that verse, the idea is still the same. It's futile for you to try to accomplish everything yourself. Do what you can. And trust the Lord with the rest. Okay, I'm going to get real practical for your moms. Okay? Real practical for Yvonne. Okay? It may mean your house isn't perfectly clean. Because you don't have time to keep up with your quiver full of kids all around doing all this kind of stuff. You need to go to bed. It may mean that your meals aren't gourmet every night, because you don't have time to make it, because you're busy wiping faces. cleaning it up. You need to go to bed, moms. It, it, it may mean that your sheets and your beds don't get changed as often as you like, because you, you don't have time for an extra load of, of laundry today. So go to bed. Change the sheets a little bit less often. It may mean that you can't keep up with the Joneses because you don't have time to keep up with the Joneses. Just go to bed. It, it may mean that your children can't be involved in every single activity that goes your way because you don't have time to taxi them all around. So just go to bed, moms. And I'll just say this, when you choose to go to bed, work undone, you're expressing your trust in the Lord. And it may well be that God will honor that commitment and give you greater productivity and abundance than you other would have had otherwise. Or listen to Proverbs 11.24. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want it's It's the way God works, it's really strange, but there are these people who give and are generous and and give and give and give, and God just increases them all the more and I just encourage you to be that kind of people, just like I don't know where this comes from we just we give and share, and God blesses, but then there's another one who tries to hoard and keep and and they're always in want. Well what's the difference? It's God is blessing the one and God is withholding the other because it's more blessed to give than to receive the blessing comes upon the giver. And not the hoarder. It's vain for you to try to store up all your money unless God protects you. You give and God will bless you. You can equally apply that proverb to the home. There's a mother who gets her regular sleep and yet her house is abounding in blessing. And there's another mother who works tirelessly in the home, only getting a few hours of sleep at night, and her results are few. You see the difference? It's all dependent upon God's work and God's blessing. And I just say, this is the sovereignty of God in application. And I trust, mothers, this comes as a great encouragement to your soul. You don't need to be perfect, mom. You don't need to. You just work and labor, be faithful to the Lord, lay your pillow on at night, and pray and trust the Lord and say, God, I've done all I can do. Just ask your blessing. I know this message, the sovereignty of God, as trust has helped Yvonne greatly. Uh, we we talked about this I think it was about 18 months ago we were talking. Um, Homeschooling children was becoming an increasing burden upon her life. And um, some of the children were high maintenance demanding much time from her. Some of her children were a little behind in reading. Some of her children were not doing well in their studies. And uh, it was, Yvonne, I remember you just hard. It It was just how do you homeschool all these kids? And some are demanding a lot for me, and some are not, and some are... It just it pulled it and It was very difficult for her. And, and um, she was a Hallstrom, a homeschool workshop that, that we attend. and was talking to another mother about the difficulties that she's facing. And in the course of the conversation, Psalm 127 came up. And it was a comfort for her in her distress. And um, something else happened that day that I want to tell you about. She happened to see uh, a piece of art done by a, a, a young student. Now, this wasn't done by one of our children. In fact, we don't even know who did this. Um, we, I, I talked to Yvonne yesterday and just said, so um, where did you find this? Was it, on the, it was either on the floor someplace or on a table someplace or on a bulletin, like on, on a wall someplace. Just kind of hit it up, hit it up someplace And um, I'm I'm not charismatic. Okay, but if if ever I was, I would say that this was God speaking to us. God's message. We don't know who it came from. We don't know what it is. It's Exodus chapter four, verse eleven says, but the Lord answered. Who makes people able to speak? Who gives the sight? Don't you know that I am the one who does these things? Exodus chapter four, verse eleven. And that was exactly the message that Avon needed. God's the one that has made our children. God is the one that's given them ability to speak. God is the one who's given them ability to see. God is the one who will give them ability to learn. And God is the one who will grow them in responsibility. And when Avon saw this artwork, she took it. So there's some there's some kid right, at, at Hallstrom, who, I did this artwork, Mom, and it's gone, and it was just for you, and I couldn't see it. So we caused turmoil someplace, okay? And, and actually, you know that this stuff isn't missed. But anyway, it has meant enough to us that Ivan is thinking about framing it. This is Psalm 127. Is God's message to us. So, why would we keep a paper like this for 18 months? And it's, it's protected now in, in uh, plastic. We would keep it for 18 months because God used it in our life to remind us of Psalm 127. That we're dependent upon the Lord for everything. In fact, I would say this. It might even be that your best labor in building your home, Mom's, comes during that time of the day where you seek the Lord and seek His blessing in your life, in the life of your children, in the life of your home. Paul Miller tells the time when he discovered that his best parenting comes by prayer. We went through this book a couple of years ago. Most of you have read it. He said this, It took me 17 years to realize that I couldn't parent on my own. It was not a great spiritual insight, just a realistic observation. If I didn't pray deliberately and reflectively for members of my family by name every morning, they'd kill one another. I was incapable of getting inside their hearts. I was desperate. But even more, I couldn't change my self-confident heart. My prayer journal reflects both my inability to change my kids and my inability to change my self-confidence. That's why I needed grace even to pray. But God answered my prayer. As I began to pray regularly for the children, He began to work in their hearts. For example, I began to pray for more humility in my eldest son, John. As Jill says, the apple didn't far, fall far from the tree. And about six months later, he came to me and said, Dad, I've been thinking a lot about humility lately and my lack of it. It didn't take me long to realize that I did my best parenting by prayer. I, I began to speak less to the kids and more to God, and it was actually quite relaxing, he says. And this is my heart for you mothers, to have a relaxed heart in the home. See, mothers are so concerned about their home and their children, they can easily be anxious and worried. And I, I think it's the way that, that God has constituted women. Um, you know, there, is, there are some times where there's some issues in her family and some difficulties we're, we're dealing with where Yvonne can't sleep, but dear old dad can snooze away. Probably not. I'm not saying I'm godly. I'm saying that you know what? I just it doesn't concern me as much as it concerns her because she's in the she's just right there, feeling more close to it. There are plenty of other things that keep me awake. But moms can easily find themselves unable to sleep because of the worry of the children. And, and Solomon tells you to sleep. And Solomon promises from the Lord. He gives to His beloved sleep. So moms, trust that God builds. Trust that God is the one who's going to build your home. Yes, labor. Yes, strive. Yes, love. Yes, counsel. And do all those things in that job description, but realize that, that God is the one who ultimately builds your, your house. Alright, let's move to my second point quickly here. Not only does God build, but God blesses. Verse 3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This verse begins with the exclamation, Behold, this is like Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, pay attention to what I'm going to say. And here it is. Children are a gift of the Lord. And here is the reality. Any child that comes into your home is a direct result of the blessing of God. A direct result of the kindness of God. It is a gift to you. Now, most translations here in verse 3 say heritage from the Lord. Um, literally, it means inheritance. Behold, children are an inheritance from the Lord. What's an inheritance? It's something that you receive. It's a, it's a windfall, if you were, in some, some regard. It's what your parents pass on to you when they pass away. And likewise, we ought to consider our children as as coming, a windfall from the Lord to us. It's our great inheritance. It's what we have. It's who will care for us when we're old. Verse 3 says that they are a reward. Now, in Hebrew parallelism, you need to see there is some uh, parallel here between being a gift or a a heritage and also with being a reward. Now, we often think of children as a gift, and, and they are a gift, and we don't deserve them. And the only children that we have is because God has given them to us. And, and there are times when God withholds this gift. For instance, Old Testament saints Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and Elizabeth all were barren. And for a time, God withheld the gift of children from them. And, and the pain of this bar- barrenness is incredible. Proverbs 30, verse 15 to 17, speaks about when God doesn't give this gift. There are three things which will not be satisfied and four which will not say enough. Sheol, there's the grave. It's always taking, it's always taking bodies. Always taking the death. The barren womb. We'll come back to that. Earth that is never satisfied with water. Right? The rain comes down. Earth just keeps drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. never rejects the water. And fire that never says enough. You put more wood on a fire; it's going to burn. It's, it's never satisfied, and so likewise, the barren womb will cry out and cry out and cry out until it receives a baby from the Lord. And so, every child that comes into our home is a total gift of the Lord. And yet, let's not back away from this meaning of this word "reward." Reward is usually something described by exchange for the hiring process. You work, and here's your reward. Right? You do this, and, and here's what you get. And I do think here that there's a sense where, yes, it's a gift from the Lord, but there's also a sense where God rewards faithfulness as well. It's like the Proverbs, the general truth, that God rewards righteousness with children, though it is not true in every circumstance, lest you look upon a barren woman and say, Well, what's your sin? It's not the case. But in general, God rewards righteous people with children. That's why often the case, godly families are larger families. That's verses 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them! They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. In our society, it goes so much against verses 4 and 5. In our society, families with many children are oftentimes looked down upon. Children are seen as burdens and not blessings. Case in point, the abortion um, market today if you call it that I don't know how many we're up to 50 million, 60 million babies in America have been killed because they're a burden and they're not a blessing here God is trying to bless people and trying to give them a gift of children and they reject that gift and abort the baby instead and there are those in our country right? who when they choose to have many children are mocked by outsiders. When uh, they tell others how many children they have, often there's, Whoa, you have a lot of kids. Or they say, Do you know where children come from? Like trying to solve your problem for you? It's kind of mocking and jesting, but otherwise it's coming from a, a view that says children are a burden. I even know a man who is called selfish for having so many children. He was accused of being selfish in that he was consuming. He and his family were consuming more of the precious, limited resources of the earth for his own family rather than sharing it around. It just shows you how twisted and warped it is. And I say these attitudes from the world do not express the heart of God. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and such has been the heart of God throughout all time for large families to serve Him. Large families are not a curse, they are a blessing. Look over to Psalm 128. Which we'll look at on Father's Day, by the way. Verse 3 Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. And there's the picture of blessing, just growth kind of coming up all around and all around your table. You just see all this growth and all these vines that's growing. It's healthy, it's happiness, it's joy, it's fruitfulness. And I just say, church family, let us never diminish such a picture. Let us never diminish. That picture. And that's the picture we have in verse 5. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. The picture here is a man who's got a household full of children. In verse 4, the children are described as arrows. And in verse 5, it just says, Blessed is the one who's got a, a quiver full of arrows. A quiver full of children. And particularly the the blessing comes about here that when he's out public speaking in the in the gates, right, where the men of that city would go and they'd speak with people in the gates and they'd inevitably come upon his enemies, right? Maybe those who compete in the business world, maybe those who have had some conflict with each other at some point, or maybe those who disagree with one's stance on something, whatever. You've got enemies every every side. You, you're always going to have enemies, but when you're out there. His full quiver at home is never going to give him reason to be ashamed. His full quiver at home is in fact going to bolster him and support him and be a help to his cause because it's a sign of blessing upon his life. Large families are not a curse. They are a blessing. And so, as you consider how large your family is, I would simply say this. Larger is better than smaller. Um you know, I, I think it was during March Madness or during the Masters. That's the last time my TV was on. I, I remember seeing these commercials for um, um, some, some phone company. Maybe you guys know. And they pull in the NBA stars, right? And they say, which is better, bigger or smaller? Right, you guys seen that commercial with uh, Akrim Abdul-Jabbar and Russell and Larry Bird? And which is better? Or, or kids, I see them interviewing kids, right? Which is better? Would you rather be in a big yard or a small yard? What does everyone say? Bigger! And I just say that's the heart of this tax, is that bigger is always better. Now, there are circumstances in life that maybe a barren womb prohibits children. Maybe some physical thing inhibits children. So maybe, maybe marrying late prohibits children. I'm not sure, but I would say, if at all, opportunity, I would encourage larger rather than smaller I remember years ago, and this this is one of the things that has has helped me too, is um, we're with my grandmother, and for some reason she was with us during holiday time. And uh, she was with us uh, about time that my family, my brothers and sisters, were trying to fill the earth. Um, And so I don't know how many kids we had at that time. uh, Probably maybe like eight among all the the five siblings. we just kind of grown on This was many years ago. Now we have 21 or 22, I, I, I lose track. But um, she was watching all the grandchildren running around and seeing the joy of what that was. This is a great-grandchildren, by the way, just running around and giving all the joy of, of these things. And she herself had two children. I don't know what the reasons were for that. Maybe it's depression-oriented. I'm not sure it was, it was growing up around that time. But here was her comment. She says, I wish I would have had more children. I wish I would have had more children. I know people who uh, early in their life were just uh, married. They didn't want to have children. They kind of pushed it off and they pushed it off and they pushed it off. And then they maybe got exposed to some of this teaching of Psalm 127. or They said, oh, we need to have a child. They, they had a child late and they went, oh, I wish we'd have done this earlier and had many more but by that time, the age of childbearing was gone. And it's very hard. Some of them, I know, I'm know. i just thinking of a couple families in my mind. Some of them have turned to adoption. Some of them are open to adoption. Some of them are wanting that way just to just to help. Well, my grandmother said, I, I wish I would have had more children. I remember also speaking with a godly woman whose children were all grown up. And I remember this woman had five children. And um, she commented to us and to Yvonne, she said... Uh, I remember when our children were little. It seemed very hard. and It seemed like the chaos would never end. And those were really, really hard times. But now that they're all gone and out of the house, I miss them. I wish we could go back to those because those times were happy times. And I just encourage you, if you're feeling in despair and exhausted and tired, just know that there will be a day when your kids are gone and you're out and you're old and getting wrinkled and tired, and will you look back upon this time and say that those are some of the happiest times of my life? I just wish I could go back there. So don't, don't despise busy days because they are are days of blessing. And so I will. You'll find me always encouraging larger rather than smaller families, and I'm so blessed to pastor this church with so many children. Um, I remember having a lunch with some pastors in town. And um, uh, somehow it got over to the the age of their congregation. And someone said, well, what's the average age of your congregation? And one man said, "Uh, I think 75 years old is the average age of our congregation. And the other one said, Yeah, I think about sixty five is the average age of our our congregation. And they said, What about you? And I said, eighteen maybe? Well, I don't know. And and I did, I, I looked and, and this was this was a couple of years ago. I looked and I don't think much has changed. I looked and our median age is eighteen. I, mean, I think we got half the people are under eighteen and half the people are older than eighteen. That's that's wonderful. And I'm so encouraged by that. And I'm thrilled when I hear of another family expecting a child because I know of the blessing that's coming to that home. I'm thrilled for Adam and Amy. Thrilled for you guys. The blessing that's coming your way. And for Tim and Wendy, I'm thrilled for you guys to know the, the blessing coming your I know it doesn't always feel like... But it's a blessing. It really... It is. And for Carl and Carol, they're not here. I wish I could address them, but I'm happy for them. And Jody and Brian aren't here. And I may be happy for some other folks, but I don't know I'm happy right now, so I'll just leave it at that. But I'm just I'm thrilled because of what it are. They're a blessing. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, before we leave this topic of big families, I need to remind you once, the bigger isn't always better. All right? Douglas Wilson well pointed out. He said, when children are disobedient, the more there are, the worse it is. Samuel would not have been more greatly blessed if he had had five sons who took bribes instead of the two that did. Joel and Abijah were enough. And so, right, we need to aim for the blessing really comes upon large, obedient families. A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. It's Proverbs 10.1 or it's Proverbs 17.25 says, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore her. So, if you have disobedient children, they'll come back as a curse and a difficulty and a hardship. So large, obedient, joyful, God-fearing, God-loving families are what is blessing. And I say many, un, many foolish children will give unspeakable agony to any mother. Never have I ever seen so much anguish in people than when their children are astray. And so, I encourage you to have large, obedient families. I encourage you also to enjoy your children. Like getting back to this time when Yvonne was really struggling just with the overwhelming task of mothering and, and homeschooling our kids, she found... Great help in these words that children are a blessing that are to be enjoyed. Let us find our delight in serving them and training them. There ought to be a joy, not a burden. And I know when the chaos comes and the, the another a third spill for the same day and the accident and the problems and the messiness and the crying and the bandaging and all this stuff that comes, and we're in the midst of it. I know that amidst all that, it can easily turn that it's us against them, but it's not we're on the same team and it is a joy and i would just encourage you to do as i heard one homeschooling mother say recently how every day she reminds her children what a joy it is that we are at home together every day reminding her children how happy she is to spend the day with her children and every day reminding them of how fortunate they are to have a family where we can come together and be together all day and we can learn together and i just say to say the same to your children encourage them in that way and make them feel welcome and make them feel wanted in the home, make them feel loved and express that joy and thankfulness. Because that's what this is. I mean, Psalm 127, right? Children are a gift of the Lord. You're, you're blessed and we've got a quiver full of them, so tell your children how blessed you are because of their presence in your family. It's a way to encourage and build up and build a joyful home. And, and I know that's helped Avon as well. Amen, Yvonne? Amen. See your children as, as your joy. Alright, well I want to finish up by looking at verse 4 because I kind of skipped over that really fast. But this is kind of the, the culmination of the goal of what you want your children to be. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Every single child is like an arrow. You work hard to craft your arrow in the ancient world. In the biblical times, they didn't go down to Grander Mountain to purchase some arrows. They made the arrows. They fashioned them by themselves. They, they fashioned the tip and they, they fashioned the, the staff and they fashioned the feathers and they made them themselves. And, and those arrows would sit for a time in their quiver. But when they're out hunting, when they're out fighting, there'd be a time when they would take them and get them ready to shoot them. And yes, you're, you're blessed if you have got a quiver full of them. It means you've got your ammo. If any of you ever played any kind of paintball games or anything like that, once you run out of paintballs, you're like... Ah. And if you don't have any arrows, you're stuck. But if you have a blessed if you're full of them, you're in a blessed state. And the time is right. You need to take that arrow, put it in your hand, aim, and let go, and let the arrow do its work. And just know this, all of your children have a work to be done. They all have a work to be done. And never lose sight of the fact that we are supposed to take our children out of the quiver and to shoot them and to release them and let them go to do their work. I fear of those who make an idol of the family so much so that the children never leave the home. And when they do, they're devastated because they feel like they've portrayed something or they've lost something because, oh... Oh, we need to be our happy family. No. When children go out, they leave father and mother and they cleave to their wife and they make a new family. You're like rejoicing in the new family that they're making. Don't try to bring them perpetually into their home. Or or I fear those who so want to control their children that when their children are out and they leave the home, the, the, the control is still there. You know what? Let the arrow fly and let it pierce where it's supposed to go. So let me just say this, you need to think about all your children because um they're not all exactly the same. Have you figured that out? Um I know for our kids, I say that they're all different species, is what they are. They're just they're just different. We're talking Carissa and SR are pretty opposite spectrums, right? <laughs> you think so? And uh I got one athlete of the bunch. Hannah is an athlete. And Steffi's got the most beautiful voice of, of any of them. And David, we we I might get a second athlete, David. I'm not exactly sure. But that's okay. We're just, wherever their giftedness is, just funnel them and foster them and fan that flame and give them opportunities because they need to shoot. And I do believe that's a lot where train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child according to his bent. Train up the child the way he's gifted. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train him in the right way. So parents, be open to that. Be, be seeing that. And prepare your arrows correctly. But above all this, I just say this. Prepare them for your joy. Your joy will be maximized when your children are serving the Lord. That's where you can find your joy. Uh, I find myself returning often to Third John verse 4. Let's just turn there. Close my message this morning. Third John's way in the back. Third John, Jude, and then Revelation. Third John verse 4. There's only one chapter in this book. Verse 4, I've spoken to many of the parents about this. I've spoken to many of you teenagers about this. I just want to repeat it again because this is this is a big verse in guiding my parenting. I have no greater joy than this. To hear of my children walking in the truth. Now, when John spoke and wrote these words, of course, he's talking about spiritual children. He's talking about those who come to faith through his ministry. Maybe those who have the tri- privilege of discipling and training. And, and he's saying this. is I, What gives me the most joy is when I think of... Whatever, Zacchaeus, who I, I had a chance to minister to and to serve, and I we, we taught him and trained him, and now he's out over there at that church and he's doing really well. Or this church that I used to pastor and I used to teach all these people, and, and now I'm away from them because I'm exiled on the island of Patmos, but they're doing well. And my greatest joy is when I hear of them following and serving the Lord because they're walking in the truth. And I just say this, parents, your joy will be maximized when your children are walking in the truth. In the end, it's not much going to matter whether your children climb the corporate ladder, make it rich in life, or whether they make a, a name for themselves or obtain some kind of notoriety or, or elected to some kind of public office or, or made some kind of star on some basketball team or some theater presentation or, or become the head of the chair of their department or ascend this ladder, that will give you a measure of joy, but that won't give you Absolute joy. Ultimate joy. Your, your greatest joy will be whether your children have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether they've come to, to see their own sin and whether they've been humbled to, to turn from that sin and to God and have found that Jesus is their all and all and have been walking faithfully and trusting in Him. And when they are doing that, all is well in your household. And so, aim for that. Shoot for that. So mothers... In all of your training, and all your busyness, and all your meal prep, I would say aim spiritually with your kids. Read the Bible to them. Pray with them. Pray for them. Tell them the story of Jesus. How He came and died upon the cross for our sins. How, how He resurrected from the dead so we can be free from our sins. And press them to believe and model what it means to believe. In your sin, you confess your sin. But you have a heart that says, I long to obey God and be real and be genuine with them and fill your home with grace and love and encouragement and fill your home with Christian influences of what you can and be faithful, involve yourself in the lives of other believers and the lives of the church and serve the Lord and and show your kids that your greatest joy is serving the Lord and that can be their greatest joy, too. And then you get your greatest joy in seeing them having their greatest joy in serving Christ. I just say this, make your children your everlasting joy. And trust, in the end, if someone says, well, what's the secret? What did you do? The answer to that question would be, I labored, but God did it. Right? God gets all the glory for any good of where your children end up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you build and you bless. And would pray, O Lord, that You would do so in the the families of our church. Sort of a threat here. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. And and God, if you are absent, it doesn't matter what we're doing. And so we long, O Lord, for you to be present. Build our homes. Father, I pray for the mothers. I pray you'd help them and support them. Encourage them this day. To direct their their work and the laborers, trusting in you, God, finding that that you're the only way that they will ever cope; they're the only hope that they have for their home, and that they need you desperately, God, to to stir in their lives and the lives of their children to be reality in the home. So, Lord, I do pray that you would do your work, and that the families here would grow up. Believing in Christ. I pray for these children. I pray, O oh Lord, for them to believe. Uh, I pray for them to embrace Christ. Their parents here who have not done that. Certainly they can't even pass that on to their kids. And so I pray for you parents. If that's, if that's not true of you, repent and cry out to Christ. Future parents. Grandparents. Lord, I, I, I plead you do that. Father, we, we just place this in your hands. It's a text that begs us to plead to you and we have come to you. And I pray that you give us a proper perspective on work, a proper perspective on sleep. It's all done under your sovereign hand and we long for you to come and bless. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.